Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and as you know, every week I am just overflowing with happiness and enthusiasm for sharing the absolutely amazing breakthroughs that we have in health, wellness, happiness, mood, all these things that contribute to having a fabulous life. You don't have to stay where you are. You don't have to believe in your limitations. You don't have to be the same person tomorrow you were yesterday. You can shift, you can change, and there are all kinds of amazing techniques and insights you can use for change. Each week on the show, we cover one or more of these, and each week there are so many breakthroughs happening. I look at the abstracts of around 100 or so studies every month, I edit a journal, I go through abstracts from scientific publications, peer-reviewed psychology journals, peer-reviewed medical journals, and the insights people are having there about what we can be, how we can shed layers of, for example, grief and trauma, and then the impact that has on our bodies. It affects us down to the level of our genes, down to the level of our hormones. Our cells aren't being influenced every single moment by the quality of our thinking, the quality of our feeling, the quality of our emotions is having a massive impact on our bodies. And we focus on the show on practical things you can do to move the needle for your own health and well-being. So as you know, there are lots of these methods. As you also know, I urge you every week to practice them. I want to inspire you, but as I often say, I want to inspire you to change. I want to inspire you to not accept the limitations you've known, not accept being the same person you've been before, not believing that you can't do certain things, you can't be certain things, that you have to stay in this box of your own consciousness. There's, it's possible to break out and have a dramatically better life than you might have believed. And we also cover the how, exactly how you do this. So do practice all the wonderful tools and techniques we present to you on high energy health. They'll boost your mood, they'll boost your happiness, and they'll boost your sense of well-being, often dramatically. My guest today is Dr. Adriana Popescu. She is a licensed clinical psychologist. She's also an empowerment coach with over 25 years of experience in the mental health field. She's also certified in several methods and has discovered that energy psychology provides incredibly powerful tools to identify and eliminate the deep-rooted causes of suffering and distress. She specializes in treating addiction, and that's what we'll focus on today. And maybe you have an addict in your family, maybe you suffer from addiction yourself, maybe there's addictions you can't break in your behavior. You're addicted to behaving in certain ways. Many people are addicted to their own high cortisol. <laughs> They're addicted to stress. And when stress is removed, they invent more stress. So Adriana is really going to give us a window on how to break those addictive 
patterns. She's also the clinical director at an institution called Avery Lane in the San Francisco Bay Area. And there she works with people day to day who are suffering from these conditions and their family members and helps them recover. Adriana, I'm so thrilled to have you today. Thank you so much, Dawson. I'm so happy to be with you here today talking about this subject, which is so relevant right now, especially with everything happening with COVID. We know that substance abuse is rampant. Many people that we've worked with in the recovery field um, have been struggling. Lots of my own clients have been relapsing. We have a lot of overdosing. We have tons happening right now with this opioid epidemic. So this is such a, an important conversation to be having right now, I think. Are you having people who were successful before at recovery now relapsing because of all the social stress from everything going on in the world? We do. We have some people who, who with the loneliness and the isolation in particular, you know, because a lot of addiction is, is really a social disease in a sense. It's, it's that isolation and loneliness and depression that so often triggers people to want to escape from that pain through drugs and alcohol. So yeah, we are seeing a lot of that. I've been pretty fortunate in that a lot of my clients have done well because they've used so many of these tools and techniques, but it's definitely, I mean, rehabs in general are pretty full right now. And I think psychologists and therapists, our practices are also very full right now beyond just addiction, just people struggling in general. So as the level of external stress rises, then I guess people's levels of internal ability to be resilient and to use the, the kinds of shifts they've made in the past is really under pressure. Yeah. Well, yeah. and a lot of people too, you know, trauma is such a big piece of the conversation here. And a lot of the traditional treatment programs aren't really addressing that deeper trauma. The traditional paradigm is very much substance abuse focused. You're lucky if they're even addressing mental health issues. You know, a lot of programs don't even have like a psychiatrist, a nurse, you know, anybody who could prescribe meds or monitor medications. And so not only are a lot of times the mental health issues overlooked, even if they are addressed, people still are not using techniques to go into the deeper trauma when people initially are going to treatment and residential rehab in outpatient programs. They don't do that work. The rule of thumb has really been in the past, wait six months to a year of sobriety until you do that deeper work. But the problem is people who have really severe trauma, they can't get six months clean. They're constantly re-experiencing, you know, the flashbacks and the anxiety, and they're in that fight, flight, freeze state all the time. And so they, um, they can't barely put together a few days sober sometimes. And so I think for those people who have gone through treatment before and managed to cobble together some sobriety, if they haven't done that deeper trauma work, this time being alone, being isolated, maybe they've lost their job, you know, there's a whole economic piece, all that stress might start to bring up some of that unresolved trauma. And now they're starting to re-experience some of those symptoms. And they may find themselves going back to their old coping strategy, which was drugs and alcohol. Wow. Or other you're, addictive behaviors. Yeah. So you're saying that traditional treatment is sobriety first, then trauma treatment, if at all, is later? That has I, would have thought, I would have thought the opposite. I would have thought, you know, treat the trauma first because the chances are that the addiction and the behavior 
is a consequence of the trauma. Yes, I agree. But, you know, traditional treatment, you know, was originally, if you look at the 12-step program, especially and how many programs have been primarily 12-step based, um, that's peer-led. That's drug and alcohol counselors. It's not even mental health, licensed mental health clinicians who are trained in doing trauma treatment. That's been only more recent in the last 10 years or so that the field has moved more towards being dual diagnosis capable and working with trauma because you didn't have the trained professionals in there. You had other addicts in recovery themselves who wanted to give back and became drug counselors. And that was more the model in the past. It's slowly starting to shift. The government is aware, you know, when you look at like the publicly funded sector, um, they are aware that you need more trained clinicians. And they've also now with the whole opioid epidemic, they have started to mandate that programs offer medication assisted therapies. So things like suboxone, methadone, things like that. And so now the whole field is starting to move more in that direction, but there's still a lot of work to do. Why did you pick this particular field of specialization? I think I knew early on that this was a field that I knew a lot about. I had had addiction. I'm not personally in recovery, but I've had a lot of friends and loved ones struggle with addiction. So I felt like I had firsthand experience with it in a sense, and that this was something I was really interested in creating a change. I could see there was a need and I wanted to know about it. So I took, you know, when I was in grad school, I looked for internships where I could do this kind of work and I really liked it and I just kept going. And at that point, you were still in the traditional therapeutic model. You didn't know energy psychology, right? I actually was really lucky in that I discovered energy psychology while I was in grad school. I was actually here in California at a more, I would say, alternative kind of holistic program called ITP, the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology. I was getting my PhD there and I happened one day to see a brochure in the student lounge for the energy psychology conference. I believe it was the second or third. So this was right around like 99, 2000. Wow. Yeah. And I saw that brochure and it was like one of those sort of synchronistic, like you just knew, like I knew I had to go. It was in San Diego. I got in my car, I went to San Diego and my whole universe kind of opened up with these techniques. And I actually ended up even writing my dissertation on a technique called Be Set Free Fast, which originally came from tapping. And I learned tapping and all these things. And so I started on my own journey using these tools and then started working with clients as I would be in internships and wherever I was allowed, because you know, they didn't want me doing anything too woo woo or too weird. (laughs) You know, I definitely wasn't allowed to touch somebody and muscle test them, right? I had to find workarounds for how I could use these tools with people because I was seeing how effective they were in in shifting my own stuff. Because I was dealing with a lot of, I was dealing with chronic health issues. I had gone through sort of a dark night of the soul and a spiritual process myself. And so when I saw what these tools could do for me, I really wanted to share them with the world. I think that's often true is that we try them ourselves and especially for people who have come from a traditional background where they've learned conventional therapies. And then like with, with Gestalt therapy, which I was into for many, many years, we saw people change. We saw people improve and get better over the course of long periods of time, long periods of therapy. And it was just stunning to me to watch my first few EFT demonstrations and watch people dealing with massive amounts of trauma just in a 
few minutes or in a very brief session. So those of us schooled in conventional therapies, it's an eye opener to see what energy psychology can do. Yes, indeed. And I was just so impressed with what I was seeing in others and myself. And then I started working with clients and they were getting really good results. And it was like, that this is it. I mean, this is where I want to go. And I was lucky too that prior to going to grad school, I had actually done a year of massage school. And I think that that really opened up my eyes. I mean, I was somebody who was really in my head all the time. And I didn't even realize I had a body. I was so disconnected. <laughs> that was really the what planted the seed for energy work. Because, you know, we would work with energies in the body. I remember we would get blindfolded and we would have to just like, you know, palpate or like not even touch the body and just feel the energy fields above the body, right? As we were working, it was really interesting. And I always wondered, how can I possibly bring everything I learned from massage school and everything I learned from traditional psychotherapy and bring it all together? And I feel like the modalities that I've learned through energy psychology and some other things have really allowed me to do that. I want to go back a step over here, and I don't want to pry or go any place I don't want to go, but that dark night experience, I'm really interested in that right now because I'm looking at those as parts of our spiritual growth, and they they can be a real contribution to our growth. They can also derail our growth, and people can go to the dark night and just not want to go there anymore and spend the rest of their lives in avoidance. So I'm really curious as to what your journey was, both in and, and out. Yeah. Well, for me, it came with physical illness, right? And so when I graduated college, I ended up in Boulder, Colorado. Well, I was in Vail, Colorado first and taking some time off before I was going to go to grad school. And I started getting really sick. I was, and simultaneously, as I was getting sicker, I was getting more and more depressed. And I didn't really know what was going on at this. This was around the time I started going to massage school and started seeing a chiropractor. And eventually I found my way to a doctor um, who diagnosed me with chronic fatigue syndrome. And it wasn't until actually 13 years in with all the suffering that I was going through that they actually found the correct diagnosis, which was Lyme disease. And so for me, I kind of see it through the lens, how I make sense of it is sort of through the lens, the shamanic lens, you know, like the healing crisis. Like I had to go through this like horrible experience where I literally, I think if I had not found the tools that I did, I'd probably be dead now, or at least be like so incapacitated that I couldn't function. And in that, that forced me to look for, because conventional medicine had nothing for me. All they were going to do is give me antibiotics, which at that stage probably weren't going to do much. So I had to go on the quest for my own healing. And in that, I discovered alternative therapies, acupuncture, homeopathy, uh, herbs, these types of things. And so in the discovery of that, I would make some progress and then I would hit these plateaus. And then as I was doing the energy psychology stuff and I was doing a lot of NET, my acupuncturist was actually also trained in a modality that's also Meridian based called NET, neuroemotional technique. And then every time we would do some deeper work, like I would call more psych psychological, but also psycho-spiritual work, you know, things like, I don't want to be here. Like, is there was a part of me that didn't even want to be alive, didn't want to be here. This place is awful. There's so much, you know, hatred and pain and suffering. And as an empath, which I also didn't realize at the time that I was, I was so absorbing and taking on everyone else's pain and suffering 
to the point that my body broke down and I couldn't like fight off these infections. You know, I, I had been bitten by a tick and all of that, but I couldn't fight off the, the illness because I was so run down psychologically from taking on everybody else's stuff. So it was that kind of journey and using these techniques and doing this work. And I'm in grad school and we're doing studying spirituality and all of that. And all those things together kind of moved me out of this place of illness and brokenness into one of wholeness and, and hope. And, you know, I regained my health when I started clearing all that. And I found other ways to deal with my sensitivity and I let go of those things that made me not want to be here. Then I'm like, not, you know, I was able to cure myself of this. I don't have symptoms anymore. I'm a healthy person. I'm a happy person. And so I'm my own case, best case study. <laughs> you know, I've been struck by the psychological and spiritual impact on caregivers, on mental health and medical health workers of uh, dealing with patient suffering and client suffering all day long. And it really does get to them. There was a study published recently of nurses in a COVID ward, and they had high levels of anxiety and depression and other forms of stress. And then they got EFT, just one 20 minute session, and, and they improved dramatically just from one session of EFT, 20 minute session of EFT, very, very brief. And you know, you, you can't imagine what it's like not to have that tool and then just struggling with that day after day after day. And then if you are an empath, as many of these people are, it can affect you even more profoundly. And then maybe we'll talk about this in the next segment because we're going to go to a break in a few moments here. But I don't work with that population. And Adriana, I don't know if I ever could because like I just, I, I've just been on vacation. I happened to uh, make friends with some homeless people who were uh, near where I was launching my paddleboard every day on the beach in Hawaii. And there are several homeless people there. I just kind of began chatting with some of them and got to know some of them a little bit. And But their energy feels are so intense and there's so much suffering there that they're they're more able to affect me personally than the average person because that that th those people have so much anguish in their fields. I don't know if you feel that, that that's feel that true as well, but it certainly is true for me. Oh, absolutely. And then we, you know, for the women that come to the rehab where I work, they're coming in with such horrific trauma and they're in this constant state of like anguish and agitation and suffering. And then they all feed off each other, right? Wow. And so this is why the tools have been so useful. And I know we'll talk more about this, but the tools have been so useful to have in that environment because they're setting each other off with their traumas and their, and their anxiety in particular. Yeah, they're actually triggering each other. And then you can have a huge room full of trauma. I know I experienced that in, in early EFT workshops when I was teaching large groups of people in 60, 70 people in a room. And one person would talk about a traumatic event. Suddenly there'd be... 40 other people in the room and they're all highly triggered and the energy was like working with uh, not like live electrical wires, but like live electrical transmission lines. It was so, so intense. Now we've learned to modulate that during our workshops. We have people work on, we have them deliberately pick events that are not traumatic, that are not early childhood and that are, are manageable intensities. We, we've kind of learned our lesson. Although some uh, therapy schools haven't, I've, I've, I've witnessed some some therapists who are just working with with clients and then they're they're just working with anyone who steps forward and that may be a severely traumatized person we'll talk once more after a break we're going to a break right now please stay tuned you're listening to high energy health my name is dawson church my guest today is adriana papescu her website i'm going to spell this for you is adriana a d r 
I A N A P O P E S C U dot org. We're going to a brief break right now. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, welcome back. You're listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church, and I just love sharing with you every week on the show. My guest today is psychologist Adriana Popescu, and her website is Adriana, that's A-D-R-I-A-N-A, Popescu, and that's P-O-P-E-S-C-U dot org. I'd also encourage you to check out her podcast, which is called Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. And that's at kaleidoscopeofpossibilities.podbean.com. Kaleidoscopeofpossibilities.podbean.com. Also, please do, if you haven't got a copy of my new book, This Brain, yet, go to the website blissbrain.com. Thanks to the generosity of our publisher. We're actually making the book available for free right there. And there are still a bunch of copies left. I just checked and they are still available there at blissbrain.com. You'll pay shipping and handling. But as well as the book, you'll also get eight free meditations. And these meditations have a profound effect on both your mind and your body. All of that at blissbrain.com. Do what it takes to put yourself in bliss every day, every morning, and start your day that way. Adriana, before the, in the last segment, we were talking about this whole idea of the intensity of the energy fields, for want of a better word, of people who are long-term addicts, uh, people who have severe mental health issues. Sometimes when I meet them, I can literally feel myself almost overwhelmed by that intense energy. What do you feel? And if you feel something similar, how do you deal with it? For sure. Yes. Um, you're very aware of what's going on with them. And I think those of us that work more directly with these folks just develop skills and coping strategies for dealing with it. One that I find really helpful, two couple of things, grounded, staying, making sure that I'm grounding myself. Um, I particularly like redwood trees. I'm in Northern California. So I'll often imagine that I'm like a big, tall redwood tree. My roots go deep down in the earth and I'm so strong and the wind can't really blow me around and I'm really solid. Like it might be something like that. Um, I might be doing some breathing exercises. We know that certain breathing exercises activate the vagus nerve and that helps our nervous system to calm down. Um, I actually try to keep my energy field really big and expansive. I know that in the face of that kind of energy, some of us want to look kind of contract and shut down and get away from it. But I find that actually, if I do the opposite, if I expand out, it's almost like I'm there's so much space and I'm so big and spacious that none of their stuff can kind of, it just goes past me. You know, it doesn't stick. I don't have to take it on. I find those things helpful. Sometimes I need to tap. You know, sometimes if I'm dealing with something really intense or use one of my other, uh, my BSET free fast cue, if I can't tap, if I'm in a session with someone and I'm noticing, wow, this is like so intense for me, I'm starting to get uh, ungrounded, then I might use that because it's really, no one has to know I'm using that particular technique. It's sort of for me on the inside. 
but I'm basically going to use the same skills I'm teaching them. I'm going to use on myself so that I can stay <laughs> as calm and centered as possible, right? And that I can be the energy. So rather than me, which is, I think what some therapists don't realize, rather than me sinking to the lowest common denominator, which is their energy, I'm inviting them to rise to my energy field, which is one that's calm. And there are those interesting studies showing that healer literally entrains the healee into his or her energy field. We've all heard of these gurus who bestow what's called Shaktipat, the blessing of the guru and entering the guru's energy field and presence is believed to confer this like uh, sense of, of divine empowerment. And in a similar way, research into, for example, heart rate variability shows that actually in one study, a single practitioner was able to entrain more than a dozen subjects. So just being in the presence of somebody like that, if you can maintain your energy, maybe you're also able to help and train them. Yes, I believe that's what's happening. I'm not necessarily consciously thinking that, but I am consciously thinking I'm not going to get pulled into your stuff. Right. And, and sometimes they try to, I mean, you know, consciously or not, sometimes the clients want to pull you into their trauma and drama because then they feel like you can. And I think a lot of therapists unconsciously do this. They do get pulled in because they think, well, if I can walk in your shoes, if I can meet you in your pain and suffering, then I can help you better. But I liken that to, um, you know, if your client is drowning in the ocean and you go diving in after them, what's going to happen? Well, have you ever tried to save a drowning person? They grab onto you and then pull you down with them. So you want to stay on the boat, calm, center, and grounded, and toss them a life preserver and say, here, if you'd like some assistance, I'm handing you this. You can use it, and I can pull you in. But I'm staying up here on the boat. I'm not going down in there with I think that's and, really important. Yeah, and that's possible with clients. And then the other dimension of that is family members. And every family, I think, every extended family has those people who do, who are perpetually in dr drama and trauma and then do try and pull you in. And that's why this whole idea popularized by Gregory Bateson in the 1930s, Margaret Mead, of family systems. We began to think of families as systems. And there's often the, the person there who is in turmoil and then they're drawing others in to reenact that turmoil over and over and over again in the system. So this is something that isn't just applicable to therapeutic situations. It's applicable to thanks giving and christmas and eastern <laughs> yep. church and all the other times we see people exactly yeah. and that's the thing and the clients are not only i mean many of them are victims of that growing up in a home you know like we know from the aces study right if you grew up in a home with uh, someone who's addicted someone who has mental health issues someone who's had trauma the, the children are taking all that in and it's almost like what I see with my population with, you know, severely abused, traumatized and addicted people is they're so used to that energy, that high energy, fight, flight, freeze, constantly hypervigilant, a lot of anger, a lot of outbursts, emotional ability. They're so used to growing up in that type of energy that that's what their comfort zone is. So sometimes when we're teaching them like the meditation and the grounding and all of that, it feels so foreign to them that there sometimes can be some resistance because it's too weird. Like I have a client that we worked with, with tapping a lot. And she was like, this makes me want to go to sleep. She's so not used to being relaxed that she equates relaxation with sleep. 
So, yeah, so they have yeah. no space in their lives that is free of that fight or flight and that just becomes their default setting. And then we see it in relationships too. People who are used to relationships, marriages or partner relationships that are full of turmoil. And then when they get done with one, they may just find another one just like it because that is what relationships look like to them. And if there's no drama and trauma, they say, there's no chemistry here. <laughs> right. right. They think that's the chemistry. And, and I will say something about that too, Dawson. I wanted to talk about this, addi the addiction to the trauma and drama that I see that with this population, there's an addiction to trauma and drama, and there's an addiction to self-judgment. And I actually think that those things are often at the root of other addictive behaviors, because if you're so addicted to judging yourself and the shame that gets created from that, you're going to want to escape from it through drugs, alcohol, or some other addictive behavior. You know, that's a really interesting question which I want to take up in the next segment. So please stay tuned. You're listening to High Energy Health. My guest today is Dr. Adriana Pescu, and her website is adrianapescu.com. Come, check out her, I'm sorry, .org. Uh, please check out her work there. Also her podcast, Kaleidoscope of Possibilities. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I am Dawson Church, your High Energy host, sharing with you enthusiastically about the leading edge of health, happiness, and wellness, and about practical things you can do to shift your own life. I know it's possible for us to have a wonderful life. And in my most recent book, This Brain, I talk about this. I talk about the ecstatic states that great people throughout history have experienced and how Rumi and Hafiz and St. Francis and St. Catherine of Siena, all of these great people of the past experienced these elevated states, how modern people do too. And now with neuroscience, how we're mapping these states and giving you a guide to be able to induce them in your own brain. You can get a free copy of my book, Bliss Brain, at the website blissbrain.com. You'll pay shipping and handling, but the book itself is free, along with eight free meditations where you can actually induce that bliss brain state in your own brain. All of that at blissbrain.com, blissbrain.com. And for more on Adriana's work, go to her website, adrianapescu.org, and also check out her podcast, Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, which is at kaleidoscopeofpossibilities.podbean.com. We were talking earlier about this history in addiction treatment of it being all about addiction. And now we understand that it's so much about trauma. And you were talking on the break about the interweaving of trauma and addiction and addiction often being a response to trauma. I'd love to take a deep dive into that and just really get your insights on how the relationship of those two work. Right. Well, I mean, I think there's been plenty of studies now that have shown, like starting with the ACEs study, the adverse childhood experiences, right? That when people go through what they perceive, and it's really important that they are the ones who are interpreting what happens in their lives, when they experience what they perceive to be a traumatic event, that it has a lasting impact on their bodies and on their brains. And in fact, you know this because you're more into the science part. It can change the way a person's brain functions, right? When they've gone through trauma. And so I think what's really interesting now in the field of addiction treatment is we're finally starting to understand now that we have 
brain scans and we can see what's happening with people's brains with MRIs and different things, we see that there is a component with addiction that is also similar, the same parts that are involved in addiction are involved with trauma. And it's things like your amygdala and your hippocampus and your nucleus accumbens, right? And I'm sure you know way more about this than I do. But like we're understanding that brains, the brains of people who have experienced chronic trauma, like across a lifetime, for example, their brains are functioning differently. And what we see, the manifestation of that is this hyperarousal, this constant state of agitation, this fight, flight, freeze response. And so that can get overwhelming for folks. They're overreacting to the tiniest thing. Um, you know, someone says something to them in the wrong tone of voice and they're having this traumatic, you know, response where they're feeling like they're being abused or something like that. And so what we're finding in addiction treatment is that we have to help these people learn how to regulate their brain differently and create new neural pathways and change the way their brains are functioning and calm their brains down. Right. And that's what I see is so interesting with some of the treatments that we've been using, like the, the tapping brain. We do a lot of brain spotting, which is an offshoot of EMDR, but all these techniques that are designed, the somatic work, things that are designed to slow brain waves down, maybe create new neural pathways, get that amygdala to calm down. So it's not always in this, oh my God, life or death situation that that is so key to getting people to stop using drugs to regulate that. So you teach calmness and then they use those tools to induce calmness and then you don't need to use drugs to induce them. Right, because it's almost always an emotional trigger. It's almost always an emotion that's making them drink and use drugs or it's that toxic shame feeling. I'm a horrible person. I'm a loser. I'm a failure. You know, it's this type of real negative, I would say the negative energies, the negative thoughts, the negative feelings that are causing them to say, screw it, I'm going to go get high. What's the first thing you teach them? Um, probably real basic grounding stuff, breathing, grounding, like how to not dissociate because these ladies, we work with women at this program. Um, they, they've had so much trauma that a lot of them are dissociated and checked out of their bodies. So we use a curriculum called Seeking Safety, which is for PTSD and addiction. And it's like so basic, like how do you um, stay grounded? Well, you count, you know, objects in the room. You look at all the square things. You put your hands on your body, you know, just super five senses type grounding. And then pretty early on, we teach them tapping because we find that the tapping helps them get back in their bodies. And then, of course, we know from the science that it helps that amygdala calm down. You get the cortisol and adrenaline levels to come down. You get the feel-good chemicals coming up. And so we'll teach them that we do a lot of meditation and mindfulness. I start all my groups with like about 10 minutes of a guided meditation um, where I'm having them maybe tap or use some sort of breathing or something to kind of, again, get their nervous systems a little bit more calm, those types of things. And then when they are first, for example, doing that 10-minute guided meditation in a group with you, how easy is it for them to settle down and settle into that space? It's a mixed bag. For some of them, it's extremely uncomfortable. I can hear them fidgeting. They can't sit still. They can't get their mind to shut up. Um, some of them really struggle. Some of them are remarkably open to it. Some of them um, maybe have done some work, even, even though they've been doing drugs and alcohol, they might've been pursuing some sort of spirituality. They've learned some meditation. They've done some yoga. 
you know, so for some people, it could be a little easier. They actually find it really relaxing and soothing. And um, they're like, oh, yeah, I used to do this. And I do find it helpful. So it's kind of a mix. But for some folks, it's definitely difficult to get them to sit for even five minutes and just try <laughs> to be still. Yeah, like the Tibetan monks who are sitting in absolute stillness for 12 hours. That's the advanced stuff. <laughs> yes, yes. These folks are not there. <laughs> and then what do you teach them to do initially when they're faced with a craving? So now they're, uh, they're back home and they are exposed to the thing they've been abusing, the substance they've been abusing. What do they do? Um, well, we teach them a lot of different tools. I mean, obviously, I'm more biased toward the energy psychology stuff, but I might suggest that they tap on that, you know, and we'll give them scripts. Um, There's some really good scripts that come from the Tapping World Summit, for example. So I'll often give them some handouts like that uh, so they could tap on the craving. They could use their cue if they're using the Be Set Free Fast because I teach them that also. Um, they, they learn some DBT stuff, dialectical behavioral therapy. Um, they learn about pause, like just pause, stop, slow down, think, you know, like play the consequence, play the tape through. That's a 12 step thing. Play the tape through. What's going to happen if you go use right now? And then it might be other coping strategies like distraction, uh, put your mind on something else, call a friend, use your support, go to a meeting, right? There's all of those sort of more traditional coping strategies that are also very effective, you know, that you teach clients so that they basically don't feed into, and that's the brain part again, you know, that impulsive, I need to do this now, just because I've had the thought, I must do it, right? We're trying to get them to slow down and get that prefrontal cortex online so that they can have a minute to really think about what they're about to do and if that's really what they want to do. Yeah, and the prefrontal cortex is often is offline when people's reward system is active. So they're having that craving for that substance. And that's the base of the brain. It's the it's the dopamine reward system, which is right at the bottom of the brain, whereas the prefrontal cortex is this upper layer of the neocortex. So they aren't they aren't there when they're in that that craving space and making the switch after a lifetime of addiction and craving is really hard to do. It is, but it's not impossible, right? And you really know, you've spoken a lot and written about, about a lot about this as well. The brain is remarkably neuroplastic, right? People can recover from horrific, you know, brain injuries and things like brains actually have a capacity to regenerate themselves. We used to think neurons couldn't be in the brain, couldn't be regenerated, right? That's what I learned in school, but in fact, they can. And so there's actually, you can with enough practice and enough, um, over and over again, reinforcement, I do believe we can change the way people's brains are wired so that they cope differently. I know for myself, I used to be an emotional train wreck. I would be so reactive to everything. And after 20 plus years of doing this work, I'm a lot more Zen than I used to be. <laughs> Huge benefit to have that. That's why it's called emotional freedom techniques because you're free of control from those emotions. We're going to go to a break right now. My guest today is Dr. Adriana Pescu, and you can find her at her website, adrianapapescu.org. And you can also check out her podcast at kaleidoscopeofpossibilities.podbean.com. We're going to a break now. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. As you know, each week 
on the show. I'm bubbling over with enthusiasm about these amazing breakthroughs we have discovered and that make a huge shift in your health and happiness. Just watching people every week and seeing how they can go from really struggling with their lives to being resilient, to being creative, to being joyful is such a, a powerful testament to the power to the, the, the speed and effectiveness of these techniques. So I urge you to use the techniques that Adriana and I are sharing with you. They really can make a huge difference to your life. In my book, This Brain, I have a deepening practice at the end of each chapter. So you get many of those deepening practices to actually use those tools and put them into practice in your own life. There's also meditation at the end of each of the eight chapters. And you get all of those meditations free at blissbrain.com. Go there, buy the book, get your copy of the book and the meditations, and then use those to really feel yourself shift. You'll literally feel the changes in your own body as you apply these powerful techniques. And for more on Adriana's work, find her podcast at Kaleidoscope of Possibilities. I'd like to explore this whole idea of self-judgment and how self-judgment contributes to keeping these addictive patterns in, in place. What's going on in the heads and in the, the self-talk of those people you work with? Well, so what I talk about a lot with the clients from, and this is bringing in the spiritual because we're taking a holistic approach to addiction treatment and trauma treatment, where we have to look at the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And I think this is really coming in as the spiritual piece is, is that, you know, I am aware that we all come in as children into this world as these bright, shiny, beautiful beings of light and love right? And, and we are connected to our essential self. That is our essential self. That's our spirit. It's our soul. And then what happens is, you know, as, as we move through life and we're told by parents and families and teachers and, and the church and whatever, we're told how we're supposed to be. We're told how we're not supposed to be. We're given these messages like you're too much and you should turn it down. Or if you experience abuse of any kind, then you start to get disconnected from that essential self and you are learning, you're being conditioned as Don Miguel Ruiz, who wrote The Four Agreements says, the domestication of the human. You know, we start to learn that we're not okay the way we are. And then we are then starting to look at others and compare ourselves. Well, she's prettier than I am and she weighs less than I do and I should be looking more like that. And you see how that starts to set things up. And then if you've had trauma or abuse, then you might think it's your fault. So you start to think I'm a bad person. Um, and then the shame that comes with that, start feeling really bad about yourself and the pain of all of that, all that self-judgment and all the criticism that you're learning how to do can become so unbearable that for many people, by the time they reach their teens or so, and they discover something like drugs or alcohol, they're like, oh, what a relief because finally, <laughs> under the influence, right? They let go of some of that self-judgment. They get to that space. And this is where it's so tricky because they actually get to a space where they don't judge themselves. They're like, eh, who's like, it's okay. They get this sense of okayness. That's what my clients will say. It's like, finally, you know, when I first got high or I first got drunk, I was finally felt at peace. I felt like everything was okay. And I didn't have to worry about things. And that anxiety was gone and that shame was gone and I just could be me right and so of course if you have that kind of reaction and then you might look at it from your perspective with the chemicals you know that go off in our brain these blissed out chemicals that we're feeling under the influence 
And then you want more of it. And this is like, okay, maybe I only, and I get reprieve from all that judgment when I'm high, when I'm drinking. And so more and more and more, and now you're in a cycle and now there's consequences. Now you're getting arrested. You're getting in trouble. You're hungover. Your health is suffering, right? And all the myriad of negative consequences. But what they were originally going for was a, was a reconnection with that self that they got cut off from. Wow, so, I never thought of it that way. Hmm. Yeah. And so we have to really look at, okay, well, how can you not only do all the other things we talked about with your nervous system and relapse prevention and all that stuff, but how can we help people get reconnected with that essential, essential self that my brilliant colleague, TJ Woodward, who wrote a wonderful book on this called Conscious Recovery, and he and I co-authored the workbook, uh, the Conscious Recovery Workbook. What we talk about is how can you unlearn how to do all that self-judgment, let go of that toxic shame that comes from it and reconnect with that essential self, which is fundamentally unharmed and unharmable. Wow. And seeing that fundamental self is always being present there for you and beyond the possibility of death and decay and, and aging and ill health and all those other things, that just having a self-concept that you are that in some measure is a powerful way of revisioning your life. Exactly. And that's what our clients really require. They have forgotten that. They have developed this whole other persona as this broken, defective, loser, failure person, uh, a victim. Many of them have that victim mentality. And so like true recovery, I think what really creates long lasting, sustained recovery are those folks who are willing and able to let go of that old persona and embrace who they truly are, that essential self. Hmm. Wow. Well, of course, the great religions and philosophies tell us that that's what we are at our core. We are the infinite and that we're simply experiencing this human ex existence for a limited time as consciousness, but we came from that great consciousness, we returned to it. So that is the message of, of the ages. Adriana, I feel as though what you're doing for people on the perspective you're bringing in the message that you're giving to other addiction professionals and mental health professionals is so valuable. I just say, I'm sitting here feeling incredibly grateful for the work you do and appreciative of you. Thank you. Thank you so much and giving for giving me a platform to share this because I think that it can feel to the professional and to the addicted person and their families that sometimes it feels hopeless, like someone's never going to be able to get out of this cycle, but, but people can and do. And now that we have these cutting edge, I would say, you know, technologies really that are so effective at helping us to rewire brains and heal trauma and let go of those core beliefs that, you know, drive the behavior there's it, it more than ever it's possible for people to recover from all of these things. And I just want to, you know, let people know there's hope. There's always hope and things can always change. And we've seen that in so many cases, we use these methods ourselves. We've seen other people who do know that that kind of shift is possible for you. Well, I'm so grateful you've joined us here by joining us for this hour. You've been making a powerful declaration that I'm worth filling my mind and my energy field with positive messages of happiness, of gratitude, of hope, of growth. And so that's the thing to do. Affirm your own well-being every day. I'm so glad you've given yourself that, that time to do that. Join me again next week for more on high energy health. Until then, do what it takes to keep yourself healthy, balanced, happy, and in love with life. Thank you.